Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you as your people. And Lord, we come with anticipation, with longing. We come to hear from you. We pray that you would speak to us. It is not as if you are distant, because you are Emmanuel. You are God with us. So help us to see Jesus this morning through your spirit, to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going through these uh, carols of the incarnation. And last week we looked at, um, O come thou long expected Jesus. We talked about the anticipation, the longing, the desire that we have for Jesus. At least the people then had that desire, that longing for one who would be the son of David. This morning we have O come, O come, Emmanuel. Emmanuel being God with us. God in the flesh, which is another layer. It is, it is a, a rose that is blooming. Uh, there's the bud, the anticipation, O come, thou long expected Jesus, and then it comes to full bloom in Emmanuel. Let me begin by asking you a question this morning. Is there anything that captures your attention, creates awe, wonder in this world? Is it a sunset? is, Is it a mountain peak? Is it the moon? I mentioned the moon this last week. Monday was a full moon. I didn't know it at the time, but I did the following evening. Gail and I were driving up here to the church for our weekly Bible study in 1 Samuel. And we were traveling up Parkwood. If you're familiar, it's between Preston and the toll road. And there happens to be a farm that is there between Windhaven and Spring Creek. Um, it, it is quite a sight to see in and of itself, but there's no trees and everything else. And as you take it, it bends to the east and then it bends back and heads straight north. When we were turning, there it was, a chalk moon. You know, and when you see the new moon and it's rising in the east and it starts out and it's kind of that orangey chalk color, the kind of chalk you used to have on chalkboards, like you kids wouldn't understand that. So there it was. So for Gail and myself, we love sunsets, okay? Love to look at the sun, but you can't look at the sun during the day. You'll go blind. It's not healthy for you. But the moon can capture our attention. Um, There was a movie some time ago that had uh, Michael Cage and Cher in it and Moonstruck. And if you remember that movie, they talked about Cosmo's moon. It was the full moon. It was bright. It brought forth love and, and those types of things. So a moon for us is that way. Well, I was captivated by that and then doing the, my studies and then I come across a commentary by Douglas O'Donnell, an Irishman. And he begins with a story about the moon. And I thought, okay, this is providence. Got to share this with the folks. So O'Donnell has two kids. Uh, One is a three-year-old. His name is Simon. Simon is captivated with the moon. He and his dad at the age of three would go for a walk at, you know, twilight and the sun's starting to set and it's getting dark. And if they saw the moon, Simon's going, the moon, the moon. They could go for a walk the next night. It was all new to him again. The moon, the moon. 
one night he's in his living room and Simon looks out the window and comes over and whispers in his ear, Daddy, I see the moon. He walks to another window. There it is again. Does anything captivate you like that? A bright shining moon fill you with wonder and you go, that is there every single night. A reminder of the beauty of God, the majesty of God. The adorning glow of the moon says, I was created by our Creator God. So does that do that? Why do I bring all this up? We come to Advent each and every year. And sometimes it becomes so familiar to us, so rote, that it's just another exercise. Tim Keller says this, one of the great challenges of Christmas worship is going back to familiar words and familiar themes and letting them address you instead of your, and, and instead of letting them address you, you let them lull you to sleep. This is difficult because we're sentimentalists. We like sentimentality, but that can hijack your heart. That can keep you from seeing Jesus during Christmas. That's what we long to see. We long to see Jesus, God with us, in the flesh, like Simon sees a new moon each and every day. There's Jesus. Opening the Scriptures, there's Jesus. Speaking with a fellow believer, there's Jesus in our midst. We should be filled with that type of wonder. And so we come to this passage this morning, hopefully, like looking at a chalk moon, with awe, with wonder, that we might see Emmanuel. So come, O oh come, Emmanuel. This passage is going to break out into three parts for us. We're going to look at the birth of Emmanuel. Then we're going to look at the sign and the fulfillment of Emmanuel. And then we're going to talk about our Emmanuel. Those are three things that we want to talk about this morning. The, the, we'll begin with the birth of Emmanuel. It's something that was promised from long ago. It's something that the prophets talked about. Jeremiah says this in chapter 23, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for you a righteous branch from David, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness. In his days Judah will be saved, and you will dwell securely. This is speaking about Emmanuel. Oh, there's more than just that one passage. They are throughout. It, it was interesting to me to look up in a concordance. And a concordance simply is, you can look up a word and it'll show you everywhere in the Bible where it says that word. Emmanuel only occurs one time in the New Testament. There's a dozen or so times it does in the Old Testament. And yet... The, the Bible is filled with references to Emmanuel, God with us. We saw in our moment of reflection, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Emmanuel. Jesus says in His high priestly prayer, I and the Father are one. That's Emmanuel. 
Throughout, it speaks of Emmanuel, God with us. And so this birth comes before us. And the passage begins by saying that now the birth of Jesus took place this way. It's following a long genealogy that begins the chapter. The genealogy of Jesus. It it begins speaking about being of the genealogy of David and Abraham. And then it walks through generation after generation. But when we get to verse 18, it says, and the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. Matthew is telling this birth narrative from Joseph's perspective. Luke's gospel tells it from Mary's perspective. But the narrator walks it through and he says, now it's like this. When Jesus, when his mother Mary became betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. It's hard for us to kind of fathom what's going on here because we don't see and view marriage, courtship or anything else, dating, all of that that goes to two people coming together, a man and a woman. We don't see it the same way. Tradition today is you will, oh, I like this boy or I like this girl and you ask out and you go on a date. You get to know each other a little bit. Maybe your families know each other a little bit. And then the dating turns into something that's a little bit more permanent. You're going steady. And then typically the man will ask the question, but nowadays that's not true either. The woman will ask the question, will you marry me? And then you'll enter into marriage. That wasn't so in Israel. Marriage was viewed completely different. Not in a bad way, not in a good way necessarily, just different. So for Joseph and Mary, their parents would have known each other. They would have actually arranged the marriage probably when the kids were small. And that was the engagement. There is kind of a handshake, an agreement between the parents. These two would go together real well. And so there was an engagement. That could be years in the making. But when the, the girl becomes a woman, teenage years, early teenage years, then it would move from an engagement that could be broken for any reason at any time, by the way, to a betrothal. Now we're getting into a legal contract between two families and two individuals. Mary and Joseph would have entered into a betrothal where it was so binding that Joseph is called the husband, Mary is called the wife, even though they will not come together for a period of a year. They will be betrothed to one another. Now that contract cannot be broken except for infidelity. So here we have the birth narrative from Joseph's perspective And it's saying before they came together, all of a sudden Joseph sees Mary and goes, hmm, you're more than just a little chubby. you're, You're with child. Now imagine for just a moment, 
We, we learn from this passage some things about Joseph. We learn that he is a just man. That he is righteous. So he is going through this and he sees this and he thinks of the Old Testament. I'm sure of it. Deuteronomy chapter 22 says if this occurs, then it's not just a divorce being put away. In fact, she could be stoned. He's a just man. But at the same time, he is, he is a man that's saying, but I wanna, don't want to put her to shame. I don't want to make a public spectacle of this. I, I want to be righteous. I want to be dressed. And I want to be merciful. Does that sound familiar? Someone that can be both righteous and just and merciful at the same time? Can you see Joseph's dilemma? He doesn't know what to do. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Jesus' dilemma is answered. God sends forth an angel. And the angel appears to him in a dream. Have you ever had a vivid dream? I mean a vivid dream. Like you're watching a film in a theater. Everything is in technicolor. And you think it's real for a moment. And then you wake up. But here is Joseph with this dilemma. And Emmanuel, God, comes to him. God with us. He says, let me take care of your dilemma. Because I am both the just and the justifier. I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and be gracious to whom I'm gracious. Let me tell you what to do. And the angel gives forth the message. Don't be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife. And so he does. He says, because Joseph, you need to understand something. You need to understand that this child is a miraculous birth. Now we get, we, we have people that, couples that get pregnant, go through pregnancy, and have babies. That is natural. That is God-ordained. From Genesis chapter 1, be fruitful and multiply. It is what we are to do. That's natural. We will see a baby being born and we'll go, wow, that's a miracle. Yes, but no. It happens all the time. I was looking up this week. There are, I'm going to round it up, 385,000 385,000 births in the world per day. Per day. Now there's deaths as well that go with that. But my point is this, is it's a common occurrence. Except for this child. Except for Emmanuel. He is conceived by the Holy Spirit. Now, try to fathom what's going on here. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and void. And the Spirit was hovering over the waters. So here is creation happening. But there's no life without the Spirit. 
And there's the Spirit in creation. Here in Matthew 1, the Spirit is making the body for Jesus. This is a miraculous birth because it cannot be done, must not be done in the traditional natural way. This child cannot have Adam's seed because as children will learn from the primer, in Adam all fall. So we can't have sin. So the body, for Him to be Emmanuel, to be God with us, as John says, in the flesh, He has to come into the world another way. Still made of a woman. Paul's very clear in Galatians. He has to be able to identify with God and identify with man. Galatians puts it this way, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. That can only take place if the one that represents you is sinless. So there's the birth of Emmanuel. Can you see why the hymn writer, John Neely would write this, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. This birth of Emmanuel comes in the fullness of time. It comes the only way it can through the conception in Mary by the Holy Spirit so that Jesus can be God with us. Well, secondly, we look at Jesus, or or we look at the sign and the fulfillment of Emmanuel. The sign and fulfillment of Emmanuel. Not only is Joseph told that this child is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, it's told to him why. It answers the question why. How, much of, how many of us have kids and they're full of whys? <laughs> why is there air? Because we have to breathe. Where does air come from? All these questions. But God lets Joseph know the rest of the story. He says this conception that has taken place within Mary, she will bear a son. Didn't have sonograms back then. Okay? There's no way to tell if it was going to be a boy or a girl. Here God says, this is what I say. This is how it will be. She will bear a son. And you will call His name Jesus. Now, sons were named after their fathers in this period of time. He would have more than likely been another Joseph. But he will be called Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what Jesus means. God saves. 
And all this was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. And here's the quote from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was the sign that was given in Isaiah. Its fulfillment takes place here in Matthew. But we need to look at it just a little bit here to understand what it means to have Emmanuel. So in Isaiah chapter 7, I'll tell tell this as briefly as possible. Israel is divided into two kingdoms. You have the southern kingdom, Benjamin and Judah. You have the northern kingdom, the other ten tribes. And at this point in time, Ahaz, yes, the Ahaz of Jeze- with Jezebel, is the king of Judah. He's not a believer. He's an evil guy. Wasn't a good king. And then you have on the northern side, you have Pekah, king of Israel. And then there is another person, Rezin, who is the king of Syria. Now, everyone wants to do what's right in their own eyes at this period of time. So Pekah and Rezin go, hey, let's go down and let's take Judah and we'll divvy up the country for us. That's basically what's happening in Isaiah chapter 7. God comes forward through Isaiah to Ahaz and he comes graciously. God comes to Ahaz through Isaiah graciously. This is a Emmanuel. This is a God with us moment. And he tells Ahaz, he says, Ahaz, you have a dilemma. I have the answer. Don't worry about Rezin and Pekah. I am with you. They won't take you. Just trust in me. There's the rub. God with us, coming to us, requires a faith proposition. You either believe and you trust in Emmanuel, God with you, or you don't. Isaiah says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to tell you two things. I'm going to tell you a warning if you don't do this. And then I'm going to tell you how to receive the blessing, so to speak. The warning is, if you don't have faith, you'll fall. The blessing is, ask of a sign. Ask me anything. Blank check, Ahaz. How do you want to know that this is going to come about? How do you know that God is going to be with you? I'll make it known. Now that's more than he does most of the time. But Ahaz tries to be pious, tries to be religious. He says, I'm not going to test the Lord. What Ahaz is saying is, you know what, Lord? I don't want you. I don't want you, Emmanuel. I want to be God. I want to choose my destiny. And so God says, if you don't have faith, you'll fall. You will. Those two kings still aren't going to take you. 
I'm going to bring the king of Assyria and he's going to take care of that. But you who were going to be protected in this now will fall with it as well. And I'm going to give you a sign anyway. A virgin shall be with child. And she will conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now that pointed to a reality then and it pointed to a future reality that would be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And it was in this passage. So there we see as the hymn writer Neely speaks about, O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory or the grave. Emmanuel comes. Emmanuel is more than a title. It is God entering human history. It's declaring Himself to be God and to whom we have to do with. So it's before you. God has come into the world through Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us as never before. The revelation of God became flesh. John the Apostle speaks about in his first epistle, what we have seen, what we have heard, what our hands handled. This we proclaim to you. That's the proclamation. God with us. Are you going to believe? Or are you going to stiff arm? That's the proposition that is before you. Ahaz didn't take it. Joseph did. When you read through this passage, this is completed, and it says that Joseph took Mary to be his wife, didn't know her, was purely obedient from this point on. He embraced Emmanuel with awe and wonder like a chalk moon. He saw Emmanuel, God with us, and it rose up in his heart. There was no dilemma anymore. He knew that God was with him regardless of what other people said. Maybe people whispered, hey, she's praying to him. Joseph didn't worry because God was with us, with him. So it brings us to the final point. Our Emmanuel. Our Emmanuel. Can we admire this truth? Can we look at it with awe and wonder? Can it be new each and every day? Can we understand that God has made Himself known in a way that is not frightening? I told you about the the prophecy. It was given in Isaiah 7. You know what happens in Isaiah chapter 6? Isaiah is face to face with God. It is, woe is me, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips amongst the people of unclean lips. He thinks he's going to die. Because he has seen God. That was what was typical in the Old Testament. The people of Israel didn't want to go close to Mount Sinai. Moses, you go up. You talk to him. If we do, we'll die. But Jesus comes. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Consider that. The self-existent one becomes dependent, just like us. The Creator becomes a creature, like us. The infinite clothes Himself finitely. The, the immortal becomes mortal. The almighty becomes frail, feeble, and weak. Why? To save us from our sins. To be God with us. To purge that sin out so that He will tabernacle with us. Consider Jesus. Consider what we once had, what Adam once had in the garden. Before his rebellion, before his fall, he walked with God. You, you have it in the genealogy there in chapter 5, where it says Enoch walked with God and he was no more. That type of relationship is what God is talking about to us through Jesus. This is God with us. Our humanity is like a journey. You, you ever map out a long vacation and, and you plan out all the stops that you're going to make all, along the way? You kind of do that with life too. You start out as a little kid. Maybe you have aspirations for different careers and things like that or where to go to college. And you start mapping these things out. Who you're going to marry and that day comes. If you're going to have kids, if you are blessed to be able to have kids. Where are you going to live? What you're going to do? That's, it's all a journey, right? It's a pilgrimage. But here's the beauty of Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus was a baby, just like you. He was in a cradle. He was a toddler. He was a teenager. He understood loneliness. He understood uh, suffering and persecution. He understood bereavement. He cried. He wept for Lazarus. He understood betrayal by Judas. He knew what it was to be poor. He had nowhere to lay his head. He knew what it was to be persecuted. All these things he endured. He suffered to be God with us. He is the answer not only for our salvation, but every aspect of our lives. When we're lonely, God is with us. When we are depressed, God is with us. When we are injured or suffering, God is with us. When we are uncertain what we are going to do, God is with us. The author of Hebrews talks about Jesus being able to sympathize with us in all things. That's God with us. He knows our every thought. Jesus is like O'Donnell taking Simeon by the hand. Let's go for a walk. Simeon, instead of pointing to a moon, that's Jesus. Sees Him new each and every morning. God with us. Not only in our lives. God is with us in this worship service at this moment. God is with us when we come to the Lord's table saying, take, eat. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Drink. These blessings are for the people of God. And He is with us to the end of the age. There is no time that He is not with us. Brothers and sisters, you leave this place. God is with you. But here's the thing. I want you to take this away. These three words, God with us. It says it in the plurality for a reason. It doesn't say God with me, although that is true. It is absolutely true. You have a relationship with God Almighty through the Son, Jesus Christ, by the Spirit. But He wants the point to be made that He is with us. His bride. His church. He is doing a work with us to make us spotless, without blemish. So when O come, O come, Emmanuel comes again, (laughs) we rejoice because we are ready to be with our Savior. Douglas O'Donnell closed his commentary on this passage. And I want to read this to you because I think it really puts an exclamation point on this. He says, Most nights when our family gathers together at the table for dinner, we pray for the meal. The one-year-old Charlotte has mastered this ritual. She pulls herself up on her chair. She folds her hands together. She says, pray closes her eyes and bows her head. He thinks this is cute. Simon, he says, not so much. Simon's not a charlatarian. Doesn't have that ceremony. He squirms and wiggles his way up to his seat, gets his spot, grabs a handful of food with his fingers, shoves it in his mouth and begins to pray out loud with his eyes wide open. O'Donnell goes, you know, this boyish behavior doesn't really work here. But in looking at this passage, he says, maybe, just maybe, Simon has something right here. He says, looking at his form in the broadest sense and most generous perspective, Perhaps the last part of his routine is justifiable and even commendable. Perhaps Simon struggles to close his eyes because he fears he'll miss something. Something spectacular. Like a ladybug dancing on the floor. Or a new moon that he can point to in the sky. If that's the case, then maybe we can all learn something from Simon. Perhaps each Christmas we should pray with our eyes wide open. Open to the creation around us. Open to the wonders of God and His Word. Open to the heavens. Knowing that one who made them came in humility. That we saw His glory. And He will come again with the stars and the moon beneath His feet. May this not be a hallmark moment. May may this not be sentimental. Let's look 
to see Jesus, the fullness of His face. O come, O King of the nations, bind. In one the heart of all mankind. Bid all our sad divisions cease and be Yourself our King of peace. Let us pray. Father, we do thank You for sending Your Son, God with us, and knowing that He is with us in every aspect of our lives, that He cares for us, that yes, He will save us, but even on this path, this road that takes us to our glorification and being with You, You are with us every step of the way. You have experienced all things, and therefore You can be God with us, our shield, our defender, our warrior, our king, all these things you do for us and we are thankful. We ask that you would bless us this day as we go forward and live by your word. In Jesus' name, amen.